Hey, John. Hi, Dan Benjamin. Hey, welcome back. Oh, yeah. It's great to be back. Yeah. Where were you? Hawaii? I was in Hawaii for a while. I was up at Whistler in uh, in beautiful British Columbia. Uh, I've been kind of just bopping. I've been bopping around. Nice. Uh, like just for fun or business takes you there or what? Well, you know, everybody I think in my line of work wishes that business took them to Hawaii. Right. Uh, but they're just – is so little business of my kind of business in Hawaii. And it's, it's very frustrating. It's not, it's not really, um, it's rare that somebody of my, from my school ever plays a show in Hawaii because it's expensive to get there and to be there. But somehow culturally, I don't know anyone who's ever played a show in Hawaii. I think that death cab <laughs> maybe got offered one there on their way to Asia. I don't know if they ever did it, but it's a disappointment, right? Because you go there and there's live music in Hawaii. It's just a lot of sort of Jimmy Buffetty stuff. And then of course, uh, uh, Hawaiian music, which is, I think maybe the lion's share of music you hear there. Live music right. is, um, is Hawaiian guitar and Hawaiian singing, but they don't, I, I've, I've never been offered a show there. Let's call it that. And so, boy, I would love it. I've, I've vacationed in Hawaii since I was a little kid, but I've never had a business reason to go. And then Whistler actually was kind of business uh, adjunct, but I did not. It's not like I earned any money, but that's true of about half of the things I do. 40, 40% of the things I do earn money. No, 30% earn money. 70% do not. Did you have a Hawaiian uh, Hawaiian pizza while you were out there? No, with the um, pineapple and stuff on it. No, but I do eat Hawaiian pizza. I'm not ashamed to say it. But just not in Hawaii. No, no, come on. My ten year old told me that Hawaiian pizzas are not actually Hawaiian. I think he's right. Yeah, I think he's right. You know, uh, a French dip sandwich is not actually French. Um, They've never never heard of it there. Hmm. Like if you, if you go to France and say, I want a French dip sandwich, what do you get? They don't have it. It's like French fries. I know they're not the, you know, you can't order French fries there, but they know what they are, right? Well, you get palm Palm frites, right? But, uh, but, uh, in my experience, at least the French generally, and again, I'm making a broad sweeping generalization, but I have never seen a French person dip a sandwich in anything. Sandwiches are not dipped in juice or sauce in most places. It's kind of a that's that I feel like that is an American innovation. There's so many things that are like that. I was just trying to come up with a list. I've heard so many stories where you you think something like 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 the French dip or Hawaiian pizza or whatever, you think of something and you say, this must really come from that place. But in fact, it doesn't. But then why is there that association? Why is it called a French dip? Do you like a French dip? Do you like to dip a sandwich? I think so, you'd be all about that. So much. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I had a feeling it would be into that. I routinely will ask for a side of jus. Yeah. Uh, even when I'm eating a sandwich that is not a French dip sandwich. Like a fluffernutter? 
I would never dip a fluffernutter because I would never hold a fluffernutter in my hand. <laughs> you'd um, have to be, you'd, someone else would have to feed it to you. Is that your rule? Someone sent me a, uh, an image, uh-huh. a soft core pornographic image of some, uh, one eating a fluffernutter sandwich in the altogether. They were the, the, the model was naked and eating. Was it a full, you could see everything? No, it was from the waist up, but it was from the waist up because the model was at a kitchen counter with the ingredients of a fluffernutter sandwich arrayed before her and uh, was eating, was like, like really enjoying a fluffernutter sandwich. Someone I, I know sent this to me to antagonize me. Ah, okay. Was it, I'm guessing the person in the photo was not the person who sent it to you? No. No, I'm pretty sure not. Pretty sure not. Now I've got to find the image. It's pretty. It's pretty bad out there in in Tease John about Fluffernutter Land. But have you ever had a hamburger dip, Dan? No, I never have. But that's I, but, a hamburger. Okay, that that, you, hang on. I want to. I want to hear about the burger. Yeah. Uh, but I want to. Before we move on, I I have one more thing to say about the Fluffernutter. Go ahead. So the other day, well, I was missing you while you were gone. I'm not going to, I'm not shy about it. And so one of the things that um, my son and I do when there's no new road work is we will, we'll watch some of your performances on YouTube. Usually he requests this. And this time he wanted to see the ones that uh, some of my favorite that you did. There's that one of you where you're up in front of what looks like in someone's house. Um, but he has recently rejected those. He doesn't like that anymore. He wants to see the ones of you at the radio station in the Seattle radio station. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he also wanted to see the one with you as Santa in, playing the ukulele with the camel in the background. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, the camel. And uh, and for some reason, I referred to it as a uh, because of you know my, I'm 45. My memory is not perfect. I I might have referred to it as a llama which caused great disruption in the household for hours. But we finally watched it, found it, and watched it. And so I was telling him, I said, do you know that John refuses to eat a fluffernutter? And he said, what's a fluffernutter? And I realized I'd I'd never talked to him about it. I'd never introduced him to it because, you know, we try not to give them sweets very much. They don't eat Mm -hmm. much sweets. So I described it to him, and the whole time he's just, he just said, oh, I, I need to have this sandwich. I need, can we, do you, let's make one right now. I said, well, first of all, you just finished dinner. As a second of all, we don't have any fluff in the house right now. He's like, You've, we've got to get it. We've got to get it. And now it's the only thing that he talks about. We're having one this weekend, but it's all, the only thing he talks about. And, and I would have expected that for somebody who enjoys food as much as you do, that you would want to give this a try. It's not like I'm trying to give you a potato this is something completely different. It's it's great. I know you eat candy. You eat a lot of candy and bread and peanut Not butter. Candy. Not candy, exactly. I do eat a lot of peanut butter. Let me explain my relationship to marshmallow. Okay. Maybe this will help you. Okay. Uh, as a kid, right, you, your exposure to marshmallows or marshmallows uh-huh. comes um, maybe first in s'mores, which are one of the great foods, s'mores. Uh, but like a, like, I guess in the seventies, they would just give kids like a, just a big fat marshmallow. Like, here you go. And I didn't really love it. I, you know, it was spongy and 
kind of it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't pleasing. It didn't have good mouth feel. Let's say mm. that. Um, and you know, I'm like, uh, I'm not a super taster, but I'm a, I'm a, I have a sensitive tastes. And so as a kid, a, a marshmallow, marshmallows, let's just call them what they are. They're not marshmallows. Who calls them mallow? Well, that's how it's spelled. Yeah, I know that's how it's spelled, but that's, I can't go along with that. I no, can't no, buy no. into that. No, I'm, I'm sure it's some regional dialect where they actually call it that, but, uh, I just, you know, marshmallows were in that family of treats, kind of like Mike and Ike's where if people gave you a treat, like a, like a candy, you felt as a kid somewhat obligated to, to perform an excitement ritual. Like, wow, thanks. Candy G, Mr. Thanks. But if it was Mike and Ike's, it was like, eh. Uh. And I know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of people. I have, I have had a good friend, uh, Scott, who, all the way into full adulthood, late into his thirties, he was still eating sweet tarts. He would carry them around in his pocket <laughs> and just be like popping sweet tarts all day, which is just like, you know, it's just like uh, sugar mixed with, with acid. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but you know, if somebody gave me sweet tarts, I mean, that's just the stuff that is in the bottom of your Halloween candy. That's like, oh, sweet tarts. Great. Thanks a lot. You know, big spender, like go out and get a Reese's, but sweet tarts, just, it's just, it's cheap candy. And I, I, I put marshmallows in there, but I, but I reserved love for them in, in, in their role in a s'more because like, Trying to toast the marshmallow without catching it on fire is one of the great challenges of childhood. You stick the marshmallow on the stick, you get it close to the fire, but not, I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours perfecting my marshmallow burning, my marshmallow roasting rather. And if I burned it, if it got burned, I would just dunk it in the fire and burn it off because I, I was not, because marshmallows are cheap and I was not interested in, in like a like a tarnished one. I wanted the perfect brown, just like the perfect piece of toast, you know? But then the ultimate betrayal of being a kid, at least back then when there were only a few flavors of ice cream mm-hmm. and, and, and 31 flavors, let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade, 31 flavors. It's not like you went in there and tried any of those flavors as a kid. You had your order Right. What was your order when you went to Baskin and Robbins? Uh, I w- it would either be just straight up chocolate or Rocky Road. OK, so here's where we're here's where we differ. Here's where we drive drive a wedge between us. Yeah, Dan, because the first time I was served Rocky Road ice cream. Yeah. Which I didn't like it a, the first time I had it, but I, I grew to like it. It has a lot of elements that really appeal to me. It's chocolate ice cream. It's got nuts and stuff sprinkled in it. I think it has little marshmallows in there. That's the problem. Yeah. (laughs) Because marshmallows. (laughs) Now, a nut has a very different mouthfeel from ice cream. Right. But it's so different. Oh, I know. I know where you're going with this. Okay. It's complimentary, right? right? This is why New York Super Fudge Chunk is such a good ice cream. (laughs) Because you're in there and you're eating this soft ice cream and then you come to a nut and you're like crunch. But marshmallows are not 
that different from ice cream that they don't kind of feel to the mouth like a p- part of ice cream that's gone wrong, right? Like a, basically they, they, they feel in the mouth like a clot, like something in the ice cream clotted. And as a child, it horrified me. The first time someone gave me Rocky Road and I was like, that looks amazing. And I jumped into it right. like, with gusto. Damn, you bet. And and I hit that first marshmallow and it was just like, and a tiny little thing, but I found it repulsive. And it just put marsh, it put Rocky Road, first of all, way out on the wings of any ice cream I would ever order. And in fact, when I was served Rocky Road against my will, I would sit and like make sure to take the marshmallows out. Um, but also it threw marshmallows way, you know, they were already like, uh, on, on, uh, probation over here. Yeah. But it put them (laughs) way over in dessert jail and I didn't, (laughs) I didn't want anything to do with them from then on. So it would Rocky road was the traumatic experience. Yeah. And, and fluffernutter sounds less like the gooey, slightly burned marshmallow of s'more and more like a weird thing. That's going to make my peanut butter feel like, and this isn't a taste issue. It's going to make my peanut butter feel like something went wrong. It's a mouthfeel problem. Okay, I mean, I can see that, and I, I, what I can tell you about fluff, and I'm not here to defend fluff. Let's just be clear. I, I don't care if you. Wait a minute! It seems like you're definitely like here it. To I just want fluff. you to try it so that you can know. But I'm with you on like my daughter likes a marshmallow right out of the package, but she's mm-hmm. fine if it's like she almost likes it if it sits out a little bit and gets a little cr- cr- crispy on the outside in a way, or, or like you know firm. Like, she doesn't mind that. She'll eat a stale marshmallow. She doesn't care. I have to draw a line somewhere. But the thing about this is the, the fluff has a very... Do you like whipped cream or Cool Whip? I like both of those. It's more like a whipped cream or a Cool Whip in texture with a sweet flavor that's... I mean, it is, I guess, a marshmallow f- kind of a flavor, but it, the texture and mouthfeel of it is not like a marshmallow or a melted marshmallow. It's more like a, a whipped cream or a Cool Whip. But, but again, I do, not, I do not not love whipped cream. I put whipped cream on all kinds of things where whipped cream belongs. But a peanut <laughs> butter sandwich, I don't want whipped cream on it. Right. No, neither do right? I. No. And so I don't want fluff on a you might you might Mm -hmm. have you ever had a peanut butter and like when you do a peanut butter and jelly sandwich are you doing jelly are you doing jam are you doing a preserve how would you feel if i said listen you know i was making us some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches we're out of grape jam or grape jelly if that's what you use i would use jam uh but i've got some strawberry jam you want that instead what would you would you pro- get up and leave, or would you say, "Sure, bring it out"? <laughs> would I get up and leave? Yeah, are those the two options? You're like, those are hey, the two options. Hey, we got this one kind of jam. It's, we're out of it, and I'm just like, I'm I'm fucking out. Yeah, goodbye, oh. Dan. Yeah, or sit there, tuck into the table, and say, "Bring me that strawberry." That's right. Sandwich. That's right. Because I get up that, and leave. 
in those two cases, I would leave. Yeah. If I had, if I had to choose between those, I would get up. I'd yeah. Say, because that's I'd throw not my napkin on the floor. Okay. Now I'm totally with you on that. Have you ever had a peanut butter and butter sandwich? I have definitely put butter on toast and then made a peanut butter and jam mm-hmm. sandwich mm-hmm. on top of oh, the butter right. toast. And I don't prefer. It. Right. The butter adds a kind of – the butter is one step too far. I do make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on toast though. <laughs> and, oh, and it's not jelly, right? <laughs> I will. I should clarify. The sandwich is called peanut butter and jelly. But it's a jam. It's jam. But it's made of jam. Right. You've got to use jam. We would like to say thank you very much to Brooke Linen. I have discovered a new bedding. I hope you discover it too. Uh, it's what's on my bed right now actually. Um Brooklyn and makes the really some of the best sheets in the world. And they actually really do make a difference with how you sleep. You're going to get better sleep if you have the best sheets. And that's what Brooklyn and is, is focused on. That's what they're all about. The best, most comfortable sheets without a big markup. And you can upgrade your nightly routine. It'll help you feel more rested every single day. This is a husband and wife team started this company in 2014 with the philosophy of they wanted to make the most beautiful, comfortable home essentials without crazy prices. I think the story was they were on a trip and they found this amazing bedding and they're like, why can't we have this on our bed? And then they started researching and found out that the markup in bedding is like 300%, which is crazy. And they said, you know what? You shouldn't have to spend that much money to get really great, really high quality bedding. And if you've ever been on a trip and you stay at a little inn or a bed and breakfast or something where they had really nice linens, you're like, man, these are really nice. And you go to price them and you're like, I'm not spending that. Well, Brooklinen, they're changing all of this. They think you should have this great bedding too. I have it and it is awesome. I can tell you that because uh, because I'm using it and I love it. It's at Brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K, Linen, L-I-N-E-N, Brooklinen.com. They have an exclusive offer, $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK, one word, ROADWORK. And they're so confident that they're offering a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. But the only way to get the $20 off and the free shipping is to use the promo code ROADWORK at Linen. One more time, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com. Best sheets ever. So go check them out. Really does make a difference. And I think you'll like them too. Thanks, Brooklyn. The first time I was ever, um, the first time I, I ever went to the grocery store by myself to fend for myself. Mm-hmm. That wasn't just like, I'm in the grocery store and I have money. I'm going to go get some blah, it, you know, like I'm going to get a balsa wood airplane or whatever it was. I had left Alaska. I'd been bumming around, um, Washington for a month or so. This is the summer of 1986. And I'd gone, I'd I'd been feeding myself partly in fast food restaurants and partly I would just go into supermarkets and like get a chocolate milk and a kielbasa. Um, But I went to Yakima because my brother had a, an orchard there and he offered me a job uh, during the harvest um, harvesting apples and pears, I think he had a, he had all kinds of fruit. And down at the at the bottom of the orchard, there was an old little one 
room shack that had a kitchen and a bathroom, but it had kind of, it had obviously been on, uh, it would, was built in 1910, but no one had lived there in, in decades. And it was, it wasn't quite falling down, but it was like a little crooked. And my brother Bart said, you know, you can live there if you want. And <laughs> this is a big, you know, that's the way to sell it. You can live in this thing. Yeah, you, you can live there. And I, and, you know, and I had been sleeping outside a lot prior to getting there. So it seemed like a bump up. Right. Well, it would have been. And Bart's a handy guy. So we went down there together and he got the power hooked up again and he got the water running. And, and all of a sudden I had my, it was essentially my first apartment down at the bottom of this this orchard in Silo, Washington. And so I'm in there, I've got a little kitchen and I was, I was a little freaked out. It was the kind of, it was easier for me to sleep outside than it was to sleep in this house that was, or the shack that was isolated at the bottom of this orchard because you know, the wind would blow and the trees would creak. And I was like, who's there? Who's there? You know, I was, 17 and not very, um, I, well, I'd never been in a place like that. And I don't know why it was so much easier to sleep. Like if I'd been in a sleeping bag under those same trees, I would have been more somehow more comfortable. I don't know why. Anyway, I'm in this house and I have to go to the store to get some food for my kitchen. And I went to the supermarket in Sela and I'm, I've got my cart and I'm feeling very good grown up oh, yeah. and very like I'm shopping <laughs> and I don't know what to get. You know, I like, well, I've got a couple of boxed macaroni and cheeses and you know, I was sort of looking around. This is obviously there's no microwave in that place. So it's like, well, I guess I'll get some like uh, boil in a bag Salisbury steaks. I knew <laughs> that those were reliable. Uh, and I'm like, oh, bread and, and peanut butter and, and, uh, and jelly. And so I go to that aisle and I had this like lightning bolt experience where raspberry jam, which is the preferred, uh, constituent of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich was like $3 and 50 cents <laughs> and strawberry jam was like a dollar. 50 cents and grape jelly was 85 cents and I couldn't believe it. it. It was the first time I really had a sense of like prices mm -hmm. and what, and some things that seemed like the same as other things costing a lot more money. And I, and I, I remember being outraged. Why is raspberry jam so much more expensive than grape jelly? And so somewhat in protest, I said, I'm going to buy grape jelly. I don't, you know, I'm not going to participate in this crime <laughs> of some things being more expensive than others. Like I'm nobody's fool. I'm going to buy the grape stuff because it's just as good. And I went back to my little house and I made my first peanut butter and grape jelly sandwich and it was so much worse than a peanut butter and raspberry jam sandwich. Mm -hmm. It was the kind of food that you would feed a little child. And I sat there in my house and just really like thought hard on this. Is this bad enough that it's worth 350 for a 
thing of raspberry? Because 350 was not nothing to me. And this was the, I still think about that now. There, things will come up in life and I will, I'm forced to, to go back to that moment. Raspberry jam for mm-hmm. 350 or grape jelly for 89 cents. Like it's, it's essentially the, the, the first time I tried to order the universe in that, in that particular way, in, <laughs> right, a, in, sure. in a supermarket way. Yeah. And 10 years later, I was still standing in the supermarket late, late at night trying to figure out which toilet paper was the best value. Not the cheapest. Cause I knew that was the cheapest toilet paper is Scott and that's prison toilet paper. But <laughs> you can spend it is it? Scott is fucking prison toilet paper. Yeah. That's no 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 like human being should be forced to use Scott toilet paper. And I know there are people that use it. There are even people that swear by it. But you might as well use uh like wax paper that you got at the deli. It does such a poor job of of the one thing it's supposed to do. You have one job when you're toilet paper and Scott is just, it, it, it just fools people because it's like 1000 sheets for only. And so like people who only have cost in mind are like, well, that's twice as many sheets as Charmin for half the price. But there's a reason. And it's because it's like, it's like waste product. I mean, the paper itself is, you 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 should if you're using Scott you should just go to McDonald's and steal napkins. Ugh. I'm sorry this I'm sorry I, I have mean to it's it's fine I believe you. But there is a sweet spot in toilet paper buying because on the other end of it there's like Charmin triple quilted deluxe which is just like fooling the rubes right people are like I'm special I want you know and the the roll only has forty sheets on it because. You know, that's so fluffed up. So you've got to figure out like where that, you know, where that sweet spot is between like maximum utility, but also so you don't feel like you're going to the bathroom in an elementary school, (laughs) but like, you know, you're a civilized person. You're (laughs) buying your own supplies here. And I would spend, I mean, I used to go to the supermarket before I figured it out. I would go there and I'd walk up and down that toilet paper aisle and I'd have all these calculations going in my head like, okay, that's a number of sheets, but it also lists the actual square footage and that number needs to be compared and calculated against the number of sheets versus square footage of this toilet paper. But then how many, you know, and then just, I mean, uh, I would go in there, I'd walk around for three hours and then I'd leave. I wouldn't buy anything. Because my head would be so full of, so full of like comparisons right. that I wouldn't, I would, I'd be paralyzed. I wouldn't be able to choose. I'd go to the bad, go, go to a nice restaurant and use their bathroom rather than have to solve that problem at that moment. I used to smoke a lot of pot though. Too. Well, part of the problem. Hey, do you want to help me do uh, one of our sponsors? Oh, sure. You, you down for that? Yeah, always. How about the uh, Beachbody On Demand one? Oh, well, what happened to that? I thought well, we were going to be doing that. I, well, let's let's get started. I had I spent some time, and I wanted to, uh, to, to get back with you on it, and I thought we'd do it on the show. I picked out 
a workout that I think would be good for you. Okay. And I remember that you had said that you had a limited amount of time to spend on this, that you wanted to uh, limit, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't ready to do like a, like a full, you know, hour every day or, or whatever. You weren't ready to do that. You were looking for something. You said that you had about 20 minutes a day to do. Okay. Is that, does that sound right? I don't remember saying that. Uh, do, do you want to do more? Cause there's a lot, there's a lot more. Well, it, it sounds like you've done some prep. I don't want to like bounce you. No, off no, of it. bounce it, bounce it because, um, cause I want to, you know, I, I, when I did this, they have a, a little thing on the website. So if you go to the, the website's beachbodyondemand.com, you go there and then at the left hand side, there's a little thing and it says fitness level. So you, you drop that list down and there's a list of like, you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced. Mm-hmm. And, and so for you, I put, I'm no, no offense. I put beginner. And then for right. time, okay. you can, good. you can do zero to 30 minutes, 30 to 60, 60 to 90, etc. And then there's type. And so there's a lot of different types here. There's cardio, low impact, muscle building, slim and tone, yoga, and even one called dance. Uh-huh. I figure you've got dancing down. You don't need, that's not how you're going to work out is with dance. And I thought you don't need muscle building because you claim to be freakishly strong already. But I feel I felt like slim and tone. That's maybe what you're going for because you've got you've got dance moves, you've got strength. You don't need that. You just sort of want to become the a leaner version of yourself. I'm thinking. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, lean and mean. Lean and mean. And so there, then you can pick the trainer. I said, you know what, John's not going to care about the trainer. He just wants results. He doesn't care. Like some people, you can go and say, well, I only want, you know, like. I don't know. You, you pick a trainer and you say, I only want uh, Tony Horton and he's a trainer on there. I only want his stuff. You can see it that way, but I didn't do that. So this comes back with a whole bunch of courses that you can take. And so, but I didn't, I, I so I kind of picked one for you uh, mm-hmm. because I figured you don't, you know, I don't know how much time you're going to want to commit to this. Okay. So mm-hmm. there, there's two on here that jumped out for me, for you. Um, one of them is called uh, Clean Week. So this helps you uh, do like you, you, it's not just like, oh, you go and do this one workout. It, there's more to it than that. And it helps you like help it focus on nutrition and fitness habits. And it's seven days long and it's 30 minutes a day. So that was my first suggestion for you as a good way to, to start into it. And then there's another one that that is called Great. And then this again for you sounds like the right track. It's called Great Body Guaranteed, which I really like the title of this one. And it says that you get results in less than ten minutes a day, but it then it says it's eleven minutes a day. So uh-huh. I don't maybe there's a warm up or something. So those are the two I would suggest for you to try. Do you do you do either one of those jump out at you, or do you want to go do your own? you know, research on the, on the thing. Well, I, I, I feel ready to be walked through something. You know, I, I was, uh, I was up at Whistler and you know, I, the mountain, downhill, Whistler mountain, Whistler mountain. Okay. The I'm downhill, not as cool. I'm not as cool. I don't just call it Whistler. Like I have, like I haven't been well, there. So I was still put mountain on the end of it. I'm not sure that anyone else says Whistler mountain. Okay. It like in the world. Okay. 
I've never heard that coinage. I've heard the term Whistler, Whistler Mountain, but have you? I don't know. Is that something that they say down? They on the say that. Of that's what they say in in Texas. Whistler hey, Mountain. it's going up to Whistler Mountain, right? Uh, Whistler is how we describe it here. Okay, in the in the in the, in the, the Northwest. All right, <clears throat> but you know, I um, I went up to the top of the mountain, and I, I hadn't been. I didn't ski. Did I ski last year? I'm not sure, but I haven't skied very much in the last couple of years. And, um, and I rented some, some good skis and I got on the, I got on the, uh, gondola and it took me up. It always surprises me because on the Blackcomb side, cause there are two mountains at Whistler, Whistler mountain and Blackcomb mountain. No one says Whistler mountain. No one says Whistler mountain. They say Whistler and Blackcomb, okay. but I'm, but I'm translating this in for me. Texan for you. Okay, good. And the, the gondola up. Uh, Blackcomb side, at least the one from where I started, only goes halfway up the mountain. And then you have to like ski a little bit over to a quad. You take the quad up and then you have to ski down to a normal old fashioned lift. And that takes you up and then you have to get on a T bar. I mean, it's like, it's very complicated to get to the top of this hill. But of course, first run of the day, I'm like, let's go, you know, up as high as, up as high as we go. (laughs) Yeah. And I've got my bum knee all strapped down with the brace and, you know, laced together, just basically <laughs> just short of being splinted. I'm imagining sort of Forrest Gump as a boy with the braces on his legs and definitely on one leg. One I leg. have to be I have to be pretty <laughs> careful. I can't uh, like I can't do jumps anymore. I can't get any air, as we say, because when I come down. It's just a disaster. But but I can brace the knee uh, solidly enough that I can ski pretty aggressively for a man my age, and not and not like have any kind of explosion. Right. No meniscus injury or anything like that. Well, I mean, little little, but every day is a every day is an injury now. <laughs> but so I I get off the top of <laughs> on this mountain and the wind is blowing and I'm like and this is very familiar ground to me, right? Like I grew up on the top of mountains. And it's um if you look at it out of context, it's it's really extraordinary that you can be like in a hotel, like in a hot tub, get out, towel off, put on a hat, walk 200 yards, get on a series of, uh, of chairlifts, and a half hour later, you're standing at the summit of a fairly big mountain, which is a wild, you know, and all around you, there are like wild unexplored mountains that have had no one on the tops of them. Mm. But this one has this apparatus built onto it. And, and you're having this, you know, it's a, it's a rare natural experience. You're in the wind, you're, you're up high. Um, and it, and it's just that we do it. Skiers do it. And so it, 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 it becomes familiar. But like if any of that stuff broke down, if you were just stranded on the top of that mountain overnight, you would realize really quickly like, oh, you know, this is, this is outer space. Like <laughs> this is uh, to get here without those chairlifts to actually climb here would be an, uh, would be a real feat. Um, although people in the, you know, like, like extreme athletes 
run up to the top of the mountain and down in the summer. I mean, it's like, it's not a feat like climbing Everest, but it is, it would be a big deal for me to, to walk up there. Anyway, and, and I look around and it's like, oh, right, of course, I did this to myself again. Like I assume because I'm a good skier that I'm just going to go right to the top. But now I'm surrounded by double black diamond runs and I haven't stretched out. Mm. I'm not, my, my knee is stapled together. What am I doing up here? Like, like, yeah, you can do this, but it really, is this what you want to do? Is this what you, is this what, is this how you want to spend your day? Like now you have to get down and there's not. It's like every direction, it's just like immediately into big gnarly moguls um, and the wind is kicking up and it's like, oh, great. Good job. You know, why didn't you stay down on the nice groomed runs and be an old man like you're supposed to be? <laughs> right. Sure. <clears throat> so off I go and and it's so it's so nice to be good at a thing. And I'm not a sports person generally. Although when I was growing up, my dad was always pushing me to do sports. He wanted me to play basketball. He wanted me to play baseball. He wanted me to play soccer. He just, you know, sports were really important to him. And I just, eh, I mean, I did it, but I wasn't, you know, it's not like I couldn't wait to go play basketball. I definitely could wait as long as you, as you wanted, you know, like a lot of the things in my life, it's like, Oh, do you, are we doing this or do you need to cancel? Cause if you need to cancel, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, that should be, that should definitely be on my coat of arms. If you need to cancel, that's fine. Definitely a motto, but I'm good at skiing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty darn good. And, and in the course of a normal year, I kind of walk around just feeling like sports are for other people. People whiz by me on, on bicycles and people are, you know, going out and getting all, uh, drenched in sweat doing their sports. And I'm like, that's nice. That's wonderful. Like, good job, you guys. Um, uh, but I don't feel like it's, I'm not, I'm not out at dawn in my, in my skull, like rowing across the lake or anything. But, but when I get on skis, I'm reminded like, this is a sport. This is a hard sport. Right. And I'm good at it. And so I'm, I'm super excited all of a sudden. It's like, oh, right. This is, this was dumb of me to come all the way up here and dumb to have the first run of the day be, uh, from the top down. But, but I'm good at it. And I'm like, and, and I'm good at it, but it's, but I'm still like 49 years old. It's still, it's still punishing me. But Dan, about a third of the way down the mountain, I had to stop, not because not because of anything other than that I was tired. Mm. I, it's not that I was even winded. I was just tired. Just overall an overall feeling of of tiredness and wanting to I, wanting to stop. A feeling of not being in shape. Right. Like and a, and, a, and a kind of feeling of not being in shape that gave me a, a glimpse of what my future is going to be like if I don't get in shape. Because I, I went to see They Might Be Giants last night and I was talking to John Flansburg, who's 
who's several years older than me, right? I'm, uh, he's almost 10 years older than me. Hmm. And we went out to dinner and he said, listen, cause we were talking about, cause you know, now half the conversations I have with people are about how I can't see anymore out of my glasses. <laughs> and the other half are about how tired I am. <laughs> and, and Flansburg said, look, man, let me tell you as someone who's like on the other side of 50, um, you're still a young guy. It's not going to get any easier. And I was like, ah, I know that's like a truism, but he was like, no, but also it's true. Like, don't, don't think that you're going to get more in shape by just sitting around. Right. I was like, fuck. But I had a real, I had a real firsthand experience of not being able to just ski from the top of this giant mountain to the bottom, which is something that I'd always been able to do, uh, without, without, suffering from fatigue and it, and it just, uh, it didn't scare me. It just, it just bummed me out. I felt boring. I felt like you're fucking boring. Like you should, you should be able to revel in this day of doing a thing that you're really good at, but you have sacrificed your conditioning to the point that you can't even really, you can't even, um, you can't enjoy it because you can't do it and and you still have the skills, right? That's the frustrating thing. I still have the skiing skills. I just, I was just out of condition. And so it put a, it put a big exclamation point next to my desire to begin this spring with, with some kind of beach body style getter done Right. Like motion toward increasing my overall fitness. And I don't, it's not even like, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't care about lean in terms of fitting better into my clothes. Cause I feel like that's always going to be a, um, like a side benefit of any kind of exercise or, or minding my food or whatever. Right on. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, I, I want to get strong, you know, I want to get my strength. Right. I totally hear you. And I, I was in the same boat. I mean, I, two years ago, I've, I'm positive. I've told this story and back to work. I think we talked about back issues and things like that, but, but two, two or so years ago, I was in constant, I mean, constant, like I was taking Advil every day and sitting with ice during the day and at night on my back. It was like really, really bad. And I went on a, uh, I went to WWDC uh, and found myself spending about half the trip in the hotel bed just with ice because the flight over sitting on the flight from Texas to San Francisco just messed me up and getting the luggage out of the top of the thing in the airplane was like, that was like enough to screw up my back for, for days. And I was, there was so much that I was like, I couldn't pick up my kid, you know, like there were so many things I couldn't do. And I was just sort of like, does it have to be this way? You know? And for me, exercising and starting like very, very slowly with very easy things and working my way up, like that's what fixed the issue for me. And it's funny because like it sometimes for me anyway, it took something like that to really wake me up to the fact of like, guess what? Like I'm not 
young anymore, I guess, or I'm not so young that I can just do whatever I feel like doing, you know, and same thing of, of being in that situation like you, where you're just this thing that you used to love to do all of a sudden, like maybe you don't love it, but no, you still love it. You just can't do it. Like that kind of sucks. And I was talking to a friend of mine. She's, um, I think she's in her early thirties, late twenties, early thirties. And she was talking about how she's like, Oh, I spent a lazy day in bed. Just kind of, you know, got went in late and, and I'm like, you know, you know, like she's like, what'd you do today? And I said, well, you know, it's uh, let's see, it's 10 o'clock. So, you know, took my kids to woke up at six, took my kids to school at seven and spent an hour and a half in the gym this morning. And she's like, Oh, it's nice. You must enjoy working out. I'm like, it's not that I enjoy it. Like, it's it's that if I don't really bad things happen, <laughs> you know, I feel like crap and I and, and, you know, so it's not like it's and I don't see it as an option. And I think people will hit a certain age where they'll have the same kind of experience you sort of just described, which is like the, you want to do this thing and now you can't do it because you're out of shape or, or out of shape simply because your body isn't 25 or 30 years old anymore, you know. Mm. There's a, a friend of mine, he's, I think he's 24, 25. Um, and he's, you know, I remember being that age, early twenties with all that testosterone just pumping through you where like, if I just did a little tiny bit of rate, weight training, or if I just jogged a few times, like I was like, it was easy. Like now I can sprint, I could run 5k, like it's nothing. And like those days are so long gone. And, and at the same time, like when I do exercise and I do have a routine or I do have a, a workout routine or a, or a, or a, um, a program, it really does make a huge difference. And so I think, you know, anyone who's been listening to this spot, so we're still doing it, I guess. Um, th- this is a really great way to start. And it's so for me, you know, going to a gym, uh, it, that was really like intimidating. And I felt like I almost felt like I was too out of shape to work out in a way. And so starting out with something like this and, and then continuing it, I have a friend who did this. Um, there's this one program called P 90 X, which is, of it. that's like, everyone's heard of that. And, um, and he, he was way more out of shape than I was. He didn't have bad back issues, but like he had gained a lot of weight and he just really was out of it. And he had, uh, he had loved um, ballroom dancing Mm-hmm. And that was like his thing. And he was a ballroom dancing instructor. And he's like, oh, it's a great way to meet women. And and like, he just loved it, everything about it. But he's like, now he's like, I can't even do this thing that I enjoy anymore. So he did the P90X and like, he's a, looks like a completely different human being. So this stuff really works. But the way that this works is you, you can watch this thing on your TV uh, with a, you know, like if you have Apple TV or Fire TV, whatever, uh, you can watch it on the computer. You can watch it on your phone your tablet whatever it is that you want to do it's perfect if you're traveling around and they have everything like the stuff i was telling you about that you can do like in your house in front of your tv you can do it in the hotel room uh or you can get serious i mean they've got cardio they got weight training they got yoga they got low impact they got over 600 different workouts and all this stuff it's super affordable you get access to everything and uh, your annual subscription is going to be cheaper than a gym membership. And you can do this anywhere. So this is the way that it works. And I've had people Lay ask us me. about this is um, you, you have to text the word road. This is old school. I don't. This is just the way they do it. This is how you get uh, this discount. You get a free trial membership. You text the word road work with no spaces to 303030. 30, 30. 
and you get access to the whole platform. They send you a link over your phone. This is how it works. Text the word roadwork to 303030. Now, I've had a couple different people tell me when I said the last time I talked about this, I'm like, I don't, is this like a weird thing to, to text a no, thing to a number? A lot of people are like, no, 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 this is normal. This is the way things work. And then I had some people who were overseas. I think they were in Canada and they said, will it work in Canada? I said, I don't know if it will work in Canada. Uh, so if you're in Canada, try it and tell me if it works. But anyway, you do this <laughs> and then you get uh, access to the entire platform. You get to try it all out. And, uh, and these workouts range from 10 minutes to over an hour. I'm doing, I'm going to be trying the P90X myself coming up, uh, cause I'm ready for that one. But, uh, John, I think you should do the clean week. I'll get you over your info. And, uh, and anyway, that's it. So thanks to uh beach body on demand. You can go check it out. Beachbodyondemand.com or just get access to it. Like I'm saying 30, 30, 30, send the word road work to that. So thanks very much yeah. to them for supporting this program and, uh, for helping get John back into shape. Text road work to yeah, 30, 30, 30, 30. Wow. Yeah. You got to give it a try. It's free. Well, uh, right on. Well, uh, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to do it. I need it. I want and, you to uh, do it. I want you to come back and be like, dude, I'm skiing again. And that meniscus well, tear is gone. And I'm, well, I don't I, know if that's going to happen. My ACL's repaired. I don't think it's going to fix my meniscus. Hope it does. Uh, is there an age when you look back at your life thus far, um, uh, where you feel like you were in the best shape of your, of your time here without any doubt, I am by far in the best shape of my life right now. Really? By far. But I have never put so much time and rearranged my damn life around making this a priority as I do now. I mean, I was about 10 years ago ish was my peak time for, for running. I used to run like, um, almost five K about five times a week. I ran quite a bit. I never competed or anything. I never like did marathons. That wasn't for me, but I, I ran quite a bit then. And I would say at that point I was at, at my leanest. Like if you looked at me, I had the least amount of, uh, well, I definitely had the least amount of muscle too, but I had the least amount of body fat that I'd ever had. It was very, very lean. Uh, and now I'm, I'm nowhere near that lean, but you know, like I can lift two, I can deadlift 250 pounds. No problem. Um, I have 15 to 20 pounds more muscle than I had two or three years ago. Um, and, uh, and I find it my, endurance is much much better uh i'm i'm not prone to injury like from there dude it was so bad i was setting up a fish tank for my kids and i had i was going to the pet smart to buy gravel for the fish tank right and they sell it in these five pound bags now my arms my upper body i wouldn't say i was strong but i was normal i was average uh but my back was so screwed up that to get these five pound bags of gravel into the damn shopping cart, I had to sit, sit down on the ground because they were on the ground. I had to sit down on the ground and use one arm holding onto the shopping cart and the other arm to lift up the gravel and put it into the shopping cart like one at a time. And then I had to buy, you know, three or four of these things to fill up, you know, the bottom of the aquarium. 
And then to get them into the car, same thing. I had to basically like try to like drag them from the cart into the back of the car. And then still the rest of the day I was in pain taking Advil using ice. Like that's how bad it was. Um, and to go from that to where I am now, like I am by far in the best shape I've ever been in now. But, you know, I'm in the gym three times a week for 60 to 90 minutes and doing, doing powerlifting and, and weights. And then the other uh, four days a week, I'm on a, on a, a rowing machine for 30 minutes. At least, oh, if not So more. that's how you do it. You go in, you pump iron. Right. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger in pumping iron. Well, he's he was doing it not for strength. He was doing it for, for the appearance because he was wanting oh. to win the, the competitions, the Mr. <clears throat> Olympia oh, competitions. I see, I see. But, yes. Was strength, uh, strength surely was some sort of side effect of that. It, absolutely a side effect. Yeah. But the people with the best physiques are not the strongest guys or, or uh, women for that matter. Um, right. they're, they're working out in a way that that is designed to build muscle that that is especially looks good if you're into that kind of thing. I'm I'm not especially into that aspect of that's more what you would call bodybuilding. And I'm So I'm you're not, pumping iron three days a week three and days then, a week. And then you're on your um you're on your rowing machine the rest of the time? Yeah. The other four days? Yeah. Occasionally I will take one day off. Usually every two weeks I take a day off. This has completely changed my whole life. But for me, like I was this there, I had, you know, people will have like a heart attack and that was like a wake up call. Now they're, they're doing other things for me, that hotel being stuck in extreme pain. What had happened was my, um, my back went into some kind of a spasm back spasm. Yeah. That was so excruciatingly painful, but because of the inflammation there, it also sort of pinched off the sciatic nerve so I was, I was in both back pain and then having this incredible sciatic pain that didn't abate for a day or more. And I, I mean, it was just Advil didn't touch it. You know, pain medication that I could get was doing nothing. And I can Sciatic came, pain that wouldn't abate. Yeah. And I, it was just so bad. I was just at the point where I was like, I've got, I've got to try something else. Like there has to be something to be done. And for me, it started with like, physical therapy basically going to somebody who's like we're going to get you to the point where you can like like i couldn't do sit-ups i couldn't do anything and uh and this came from just years and years and years of um of of not doing even when i was running uh very frequently i wasn't doing any kind of muscle work or core work and it's core strength that that was the problem for me and of course, you know, now that's something that when I'm in the gym, that's like my number one focus, you know, and, and, um, but it was, it was so bad, dude. It was so bad. Anytime like a friend of mine, his wife just pulled her back in some way and, um, you know, doing something with their, their, their daughter, you know, and, uh, and she was like on the floor of her house and had to call him home from work. Like she's just crying on the floor of her house and he had to like leave work to go and help her. Up. And she didn't have like pre-existing issues. It's just something happened. And, you know, like, like I just, my goal is, is to not, to not be in that situation again that I, that I was in, you know, ever. And there's a guy that used to train at the, the gym that I used to go to and uh, he was in his eighties and the guy would go rowing every morning on the lake 
and then he would he would come into the gym and he'd do deadlifting and and he was not like a big beefy dude but like he was an active dude you know and like i don't want to be pushing around a walker there's I mean, nothing wrong if you have to push around a walker but like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be in a walker because uh i didn't i didn't try because i didn't push myself because i you know what i'm saying like and I was at the point where I had, I was just like going down a list of like, well, here's something I can't do because it hurts too much. Here's something I can't do because, you know, here's something my kids want to do that I can't do with them. Like, I'm, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, but by far, by now, I'm in, I'm in way, way, way better shape than I've ever been in overall shape. I certainly couldn't like run as far as I used to be able to run. Um, but, you know, I will still do sprints and things like that. And, um, and I'm more overall in shape than I ever used to be. What about you? Well, <clears throat> I've been through periods of my life where I was in um, <clears throat> better shape. But, you know, I, I would never, I don't think, since I was about nine years old. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any, there, there is any point in my life where I would have characterized myself as in good shape. Mm-hmm. And partly that is, I think an expression of <clears throat> body dysmorphia. Somewhat it's a, it's a, it's an expression of low self esteem. I mean, I, I was a lean kid. Right. And it's, it's because I, in one way, I think it's because we were poor. Mm. Uh, after my mom divorced my dad, he didn't support us. And so my mom was working. She had to kind of start over again. And through most of the 70s, we were, my sister, my mom, and I were kind of living hand to mouth before she reestablished her career in computers. Right, right. And, uh, and so, you know, my mom was also very frugal, so it wasn't like she laid out a big platter of food for us. (laughs) And also she was, she was spiritually frugal too. Um, you know, she bought a, uh, a jar of, not a jar, whatever, a container of grape juice, which was my sister's favorite treat. And she bought this grape juice to give Susan a glass of juice sometimes. But she gave Susan a glass of juice so rarely that one time she opened the grape juice to pour her a glass and it had turned to wine. And that's, <laughs> that's very, to vinegar. And that's very right, different right. Uh, from the way, you know, I'm fairly frug- frugal too, but it's not like my daughter would ever watch a jar of grape juice go to wine. You know, she manages to find a way to get a treat every day of her life. Um, but then I moved in with my dad who had no, uh, when I was about 10, nine, I moved in with my dad and he had no <clears throat> frugality in him. Um, and it's not that he was like, like super rich. He just didn't manage his money with any kind of uh, adult responsibility. 
and he also was kind of a big, uh, big child himself. So when, when I was first introduced to peanut M&Ms, it was in the form of just big bowls of peanut M&Ms right. around my dad's house right? Uh, that were just there for you when you wanted a peanut M&M. And peanut M&Ms are a thing that I always wanted. And they were always there. And, you know, portion control wasn't his big thing. So anyway, I got chubby in fifth grade. Right. And I'd never been chubby before. And, you know, my mom is not somebody who – uh, minces words. So the first time she saw me after I'd been living with my dad for a while, she was like, Oh my God, what happened to you? And I was pretty ashamed of myself. And the photographs of me from fifth grade are, you know, I was embarrassed by them. And from that point on fifth grade on, I never had a flat stomach again. Mm. And so all through junior high and high school, I, you know, I felt chunky and because I was chunky, I assumed I was unattractive. Right. And, you know, that is an age where people are really judgmental of one another and I think there, you know, there've always been people that wanted to cut me down to size right. in life. Right. And that's, that's, that was an easy way, at least in high school for people to cut me down. Um, but I was really primed for it too. And then I, you know, through college and through my twenties, you know, there were always these kind of little comments from girls to the effect of like, I think you're really handsome. And you know, if you just did a few sit-ups, you'd be like the perfect guy. Uh. And I'm like, yeah, it's a small, you know, it's, they don't mean it as a, as a dig. They mean it as a compliment even, or like encouragement. Like, oh, if you just like got in a little bit better shape, it'd be amazing. But I always heard it as a, um, I heard it the other direction, right? That like, um, if they if they were thinking about that so much that they would mention it to me, then they must be thinking about it all the time, and they mm. must and it must be something that's intruding on their ability to enjoy me. And uh, that's <clears throat> that's been true to this day. You know, I I I see pictures of myself sometimes, and and go like, oh, gross, but. But uh, you look at pictures of yourself from 10 years ago and you think, wow, at the time I thought I was really repulsive. But now I look back and I look great. What was I worried about? Right. Um, so, so I recognize it is, a, it is a mental thing as much as anything. You know, it is a, it is a dysmorphia, uh, a, you know, like a, like a mild one. Right. But one that that I can't ever look back at my life and say like, wow, if I could, you know, like I was really in good shape then there are times when I was in better shape than now. And I've gone through probably four different periods where I went to the gym every day and I, I really like it. You know, I like to, 
I like to do free weights. I like to use the machines. I'm, you know, I'm pretty open to anything going on in a gym. I'll sit and stretch on a mat. I'll, I'll do a, uh, it's hard for me to do like dance classes. Cause the impact because, on your knee and stuff. Cause the impact. Right. And also, you know, I kind of like to go at my own pace. I don't want to, I, I don't really like to get into that, that group thing as much. I kind of wander around the gym by myself and, and try and stay out of other people's way. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. I don't, I'm not somebody that will sit at a machine while other people are waiting. Right. If somebody's waiting, I'll get done and let them go. Right. Because I like to, I don't like to have a line, uh, stacking up behind me. No, I, I'm the same way. Uh, and so, but, so I always hold that in reserve. Like I know I like going to the gym. It's just a question of getting over the hump. Cause there have also been other times when I bought a year membership to a gym and never used it. Mm-hmm. And spent that entire year looking at my gym membership card and having it be this thing that was like quietly yelling at me all year long. Like, I'm still here. You can still go. You can start going anytime. And just like, ugh, ugh, I don't want, (laughs) don't want. Yeah, do not want. Um, so I also, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit, I don't want to. I don't want to go down to a gym and be like, all right, here we go, getting started and have it be one of those years where I, where for whatever reason, I don't actually pursue it. But the last time I did it was probably 10 years ago and I walked every day down to the gym, which was a couple of miles walk down to the YMCA. I'd spend an hour and a half there. Um, you know, I'd ride the bike for 20 minutes and then I'd go sort of casually wander around and do all the different things I could think of to do. And if it was, you know, it was a nice time. It was a great time. Uh, and I haven't done it since. And I don't, I think I'm at an age now where it's, it's just not like my whole adult life from the time I was nine, I have thought, you know what? I should just get in shape. And I think some, at some point in the last 10 years, it's just not possible anymore for me to do that. It just doesn't, it feels like, well, yeah, I'm not probably going to win an Olympic medal now either. And the idea that I would ever have a flat stomach or be, um, like actually in good shape, it just seems like an unreachable, an unattainable goal unless I decided to, unless something in my head broke uh, because I I can't picture myself becoming that kind of cult, culty mm-hmm. about exercise relative to all the other things, all the other pressures I feel to join other cults that seem more interesting. Right. Uh, And I I think this is all wrapped up in self-image. Well, clearly, but, but, but it, it, uh, there's interplay here with the other conversations we've had about relationship to 
happiness relationship mm-hmm. to um, self-esteem. But like my body and my, my, my uh, image of my body, my relationship to my own body has never been one. I guess it's, it's in the same family of my relationship to my own mind and personality. It has never been peaceful. It has never felt like a friendly relationship. It's not a, it's not a relationship between enemies. It's just, a, it's like a, it's a difficult relationship. Uh, I've never felt, I guess, never felt entirely at home, either in my body or in my mind. We would like to thank Blue Apron. They are the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S. And you know what? Many people know what they do, but they don't know about all the types of meals that you get when you're cooking with Blue Apron, like strip steaks with potatoes, spicy maple collard greens, a steakhouse-inspired favorite uh, that has this chili-infused maple syrup going on with it. It's awesome. And these are the things I'm not saying it's awesome because they tell me to like I've made these in my house. Uh, and if I can make them, I guarantee you that you can make them too. They deliver uh, fresh pre-portioned ingredients with step-by-step recipes right to your door. You can cook these things. They say under 45 minutes. I found typically it's closer to half an hour. Maybe I go faster. I don't know. Uh, but the menu changes every single week based on what's in season It's designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team. They have 12 new recipes every week, and you guys can pick two, three, or four recipes based on what fits in your schedule. And they send them to you in these awesome, uh, like, insulated boxes. Sometimes you'll get a little bit of dry ice in there. If you get the dry ice, don't touch it because, like, apparently can burn you or something. But put a little bit, like, on your counter and press a spoon down on it, and it makes like this squealing sound. It's hilarious. And then you can put it in uh, in water, and it'll like boil, and it'll make like smoke, like uh, you're in like a haunted house or something. Anyway, th- this is not in the ad read. I'm just telling you, this is what we do. It's just a perk. But they send you non only non GMO ingredients, meat with no added hormones. It's the best stuff. And, uh, and I love, I love this because like how often are you there? Like, oh, I don't know what to make. What do you want? Oh, I don't know what to make. Let's just eat cereal for dinner. Then don't eat cereal for dinner. You know what? They can have that. That's a s- slogan for them. They can use that, but the meals that they have. So I'm looking at their menu right now, pan fried chicken breast with sweet and tangy zucchini, Italian style shrimp and sweet peppers. I mean, Parmesan crusted steaks with mashed potatoes and broccoli. It's awesome stuff. It's like you're eating in a restaurant, but it comes out of your house. And they're treating Roadwork listeners to $30 off your first order. You go to blueapron.com slash roadwork, blueapron.com slash roadwork, and you will get $30 off at Blue Apron, a better way to cook. See, I'm the same uh, as you are when it came to like being a kid and, 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 and kind of being a little, a little chubby. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I was never, I mean, there's pictures of me when I was very young uh, where, you know, I had a little belly and I don't think, like, I didn't have a time period where I was lean and then got a little chubby because the M&Ms, I think I was always just a little bit like that. And I remember when I was in like ninth or 10th grade is when I started to feel like that mattered uh-huh. Uh, because I liked girls a lot and I wanted to, you know, and I didn't really have a clear idea or understanding 
maybe not that I do today either, but of, of what would be attractive to a woman as far as like I had some kind of ideal that probably came from uh, Hollywood and music bands that I was into, which was, you know, mainly punk at the time. And, you know, they were all very, very skinny, probably because they were using drugs and, and you know, not eating very well. I mean, that's um, how music bands are. Right. And, and, but that sort of maybe was the ideal that I was going after, but I wasn't sure, you know, like I didn't know what to do. I knew you're like, you're supposed to exercise more. Okay. So, you know, I would try to like jog and like ride a bike, but you know, I didn't really have a clear understanding of like, and, and generally speaking, like diet was not very well understood. I don't think back in the like eighties, you know, that was sort of like yo play is like, Oh, eat yo play instead of, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that was like what they would tell you to do as far as like how to lose weight. And I remember eating, I remember when chicken was health food. Right. And uh, yes, I absolutely do. And so, you know, I, I did lose some weight and around ninth or 10th grade, I got thinner and and from that point kind of maintained what i would call it being being thinner but it it was you know that was i was very self-conscious about that up until and through into high school because i wasn't unlike you i didn't like i wasn't good at any sport skiing or otherwise i wasn't very good at anything in physically you know like i was always picked last if i had to be picked it was last and you know, once I started doing that stuff in 10th grade, riding a bike and, and jogging and things like that, I found I really enjoyed it. And I really liked the way that I felt afterwards. And it did kind of change, uh, you know, how, how I looked and what size pants I could fit into. And it, it definitely helped my self-esteem. But I was never what you would call an athlete or athletic. I was never like on a sports team other than the bowling team. You were on the bowling team? Um, I was on the bowling team, yes. Hold the phone. Why did I not know that? Is that important? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, I wasn't wow. the team captain. Well, it doesn't matter. Were you, are you still good at bowling? I'm I'm not very good anymore. I'm competent. Um, the last time that I bowled was at my son's birthday party. Uh, at uh, They have, um, you know, like a bowling thing there. And they have these little dinosaur things that are like ramps that you can put down in front of the lane. And so the little ones, like my daughter, can put the ball on top of the dinosaur's back and it rolls down its tail. And they also have bumpers that come up alongside the gutter so that you can never throw a gutter ball. I didn't use those two things. I was able to bowl normally. And I threw a handful of strikes. I haven't probably bowled in 10 years. but um, So I'm, I'm okay. Are, are, I'm not good. Are you, are, are you saying that you didn't need to use... I didn't the, need to use the, the bumpers or the, the dinosaur The bumpers ramp. or the child dinosaur No, thing I was and, able to bowl normally. Uh, uh-huh, and uh-huh. I threw a bunch of strikes, but it wasn't... It was not like I was like uh, like awesome or anything. But I was, I was okay in, in high school. I was okay. You were on the bowling team. Yes. Because it was, uh, we were required to be on a team, and I knew I couldn't be on the football team. I certainly, at, at, you know, five foot, whatever I was back then, six, seven, uh, I, I certainly couldn't be on the basketball team. We didn't have a hockey team. I didn't like soccer, and I was, I was 
fairly good at soccer, but I wasn't great at it. And I, and they didn't have any kind of street hockey teams, uh, which was the other thing I enjoyed doing. I wasn't great, but I could have done it. So, but there was bowling. I said, oh, well, I'll go be on the bowling team. And I tried huh. out and I, I did it. I think you had to break a hundred to be on the bowling team. And I was able to do that without much trouble. And uh, uh, did you bowl as a kid? I guess I got, I'm, I, guess? I'm, I knew how to, I have big voids in my memory. Uh, I think, I mean, I must have bowled because I knew how to bowl. By the time I got there, I knew what to do. I think we bowled recreationally, you know, as like family. With, with friends. No, uh-huh. not as a family. And my family never went to a bowling alley. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I never, never go to a bowling alley. I don't, I don't know if my mom has ever stepped foot in a bowling alley in her life. Well, you're I'm, not supposed to uh, step your feet in a bowling alley. You want to have special shoes. Well, no, the arcade is in there and they usually have oh. a burger place in there. They had good burgers at the Don Carter's All-Star Lanes. Uh, that used to be true here in Seattle, but you know what? They tore down all the bowling alleys. Yeah, that's what they're doing. One after another, and then right after they get done doing that, then all of a sudden bowling is like a really hip sport, and they have to <laughs> rebuild them back. Yeah, yeah. we have a we have a I, I know of one bowling alley here that's in a, like not a kids like uh, this one was like bus Burger and Buster's or Dave Dave and Buster's is the name of this one I think or something like that. So one of those um, type places, not Dave and Buster's, it's something else, something else, but. They have an, a regular adult bowling alley here that uh, has, and you would think I would like this, but it bothers me, and this is why I've boycotted it. Uh, they have a grill inside of it where they make burgers and stuff, and it's called the Lebowski Grill. So I've boycotted the bowling alley. I won't go in. Oh, that's terrible. I won't go in. Um, did you know? Did you know, Dan? There's a there's a kind of sweater um, that is uh, that's a major component of my. Um, sartorial range okay okay <laughs> i have a i have a uh, not a dozen of them but let's say a half a dozen of them and they are made by the kawichan tribe of vancouver island oh uh when the original sort of uh white settlers arrived in this region some of the very earliest were scots and they brought sheep with them mm. and so the um, the Native Americans of the of Vancouver Island were introduced to sheep, and they took the wool and used their traditional weaving um, that they had done, I think, prior with reeds, and they started using wool, unwashed, uncarded wool, and they produced these hats and sweaters in very distinctive patterns uh, that became kind of the uh, the art of their or the, the the handicraft of their of the particular tribe and their their Canadian national handicraft I guess called the Kawichan wool okay weavers all right and my family a uh, long time before I was born had adopted these, hats and sweaters as our kind our you know f- sort of family outdoor wear right and then i got into it of course because my life hat is one of these a Kwichin hat life hat 
my life hat. It's, you know, you have a hat that you've had your whole life and you know that you're going to have it your whole life, barring some awful situation. A hat that belonged to my dad that then I inherited and now I'm, I wear it all the time and I will wear it forever. That's cool. Unless I catch on fire or unless something terrible happens. Right. It's not a hat I'm going to leave behind somewhere because I'm thinking about it. You know, it's uh, it's not like, oh, I left my hat at so-and-so's house. It's like, no. Is, a, is the le- term life hat something that is like I should know that? Because that's a new term for me. Oh, no. I've never heard it before. Okay. I, okay. I, I mean, I use it to refer to this particular hat, my life hat. Okay. No, that's I, good. Uh, but, but it turns out I have a few life hats of different styles. I have a life baseball hat, too. But anyway, so then the the realization that these sweaters were also that there was a um that they've been made for a long time and that there is a vintage aspect to them and that they uh, they turn up sometimes in thrift stores mm-hmm. caused me to uh, over time have a have a collection of them. But they are they were popularized in the 1950s in Canada as a as the curling sweater, the, mm. the official sweater of curling. But they but the curling sweater was not made by the Kowichans. It was and and you see these sweaters sometimes. It had like a horse uh, knitted into the back, right. or some bowling pins, or uh, or like a curling stone in the case of Canada. And then they became really, it was a fad. You could buy, you, if, if you were a knitter, you could go get the pattern and they all have shawl collars. That's kind of their, and they're cardigans. They have a zipper. And so you see a lot of these that have horses and, and buggies on them and, um, and I, I generally stay away from those, although I do have one with a with an airplane on it, and one with a with a, a, a like a, a Kelly green one with a horseshoe. Oh, nice! But I kind of don't consider those actual. Th- those aren't like the Kowichans. They're like a, some a different thing, which I also have a small collection of. However, at, at some point during that era. Pendleton, in their inimitable way, started making cardigan sweaters out of their own knits. And Pendleton knits often have Native American themes. Like, you might even say half the time. And they started making a kind of belted version of this shawl collar sweater. Anyway, fast forward to The Big Lebowski. And he wears this Pendleton sweater through the whole film. And now every time you look for a Kowichan sweater on the internet. It's the Lebowski one, right? It's called the Lebowski sweater. Right. And it couldn't be further from a Lebowski sweater. But that's how people refer to them and it and it it doesn't break my heart it breaks my balls <laughs> like it makes me so mad because i just want to you know i like to 
I like to teach people things. I like to share the knowledge I've acquired over time. And I just want to write, I want to write, dear sir or madam, let me explain what your sweater is. Let me explain why it's not what you're saying it is. And also with the actual Lebowski sweaters, I want to write them and say, let me explain what your sweater is. It isn't a Lebowski sweater either. His sweater was one of your sweaters, which is a Pendleton sweater. And this is why, and this is why. And I know why they're doing it because people are like, I want a Lebowski sweater for my fraternity mixer or whatever. (laughs) I don't know what people want. Right. Well, here's an interesting thing that I'm going to say it as if it's a fact because I feel like I read it. Uh, But one thing I know for sure is a fact is that most of the clothes that Jeff Bridges wore in the Big Lebowski were his own. That he... It wasn't a very big budget on the movie, uh, but he got really into the character and most of the clothes that he had were things that were in his closet that he thought the character would wear. Huh. And huh. Uh, and I, I'm 99% positive that the sweater was one of his own, that he just had in his closet already, thought it would go with the character, and in fact did go with the character. So uh, I just want to throw that into the into the mix. But I didn't know that that was... That was a type of sweater. So do you feel that you can't wear yours as often as you might like because it now has this association and, and you'd be trapped into with this association? What? No. No? Okay. I'm just asking. No. I don't. I, I can't. angry at me for it. No, I can't be like governed by idiots. Uh, and also, unfortunately, Dan, that sweater is not the only <sighs> – resemblance i have to lebowski no we've pointed this out this is a main topic on the show and amongst me and my other friends who listen to the show i don't know if you and i have talked about it that much because i somewhat resist it but you'd very much resist it but uh but yeah i i understand that that i am i'm you have to admit that there Lebowski-ish. are some uncanny similarities isn't the right word. Um, is there a word for something that's even more intense than a similarity? What would that word be? Uh, you're, you're, commonality? Yeah, maybe even more than that. You're you're very much a uh, Lebowski-ish kind of person, but... He's a fabrication and you're the the real deal. The the thing is that what's crazy now is that when um when Jeff Bridges played Lebowski um he was what? Like the, the movie came out 20 years ago, 1998. And Jeff Bridges is 20 years older than me. Okay. He's 68 right now. Right. So basically I am the age now of Lebowski. Right. That he was then when the movie was made in 1998. Yes. I am precisely, I am precisely Lebowski now. Right. At this point in my life. (laughs) And you know, the, uh, the reason I resist it is that he is so like, He's so stoned and he's so like aggressively unambitious and so just like, 
I don't know. He, I mean, I know a lot of guys like Lebowski, including my brother, and I never wanted to be, I never wanted to be, I, I never wanted to be a loser. I was always terrified of being a loser. Of course. And Lebowski's such a loser. But we do have a lot of the same sort of general, I don't know. I think he kind of shambles around like I do. Did I did I describe to you uh, the fact that when I'm sort I of wa- in shock that you're you're talking about this now openly on the show because yeah. the last few times I brought it up you were very resistant to it. Yeah, I mean this if is you sort take of making my of me, whole month. If you take a picture of me when I have long hair and you superimpose it over Jeff Bridges as Lebowski, it's very hard to argue. No, it really is, especially now that I know you've got the sweater and the sweater. Well, not the sweater. I have many many much better it's, sweaters. It's, it's a good sweater and that's going to line up pretty well with this, I think. But, um, well, and Lebowski never rocked a missing tooth like I do, no. but no, I think, I, I, but I think if they had, people would have said, no, that's not believable. Right. It's too far. It's yeah. too, you've gone. Yeah. You've gone too far. Well, and, and maybe that's, maybe I am uh, like, I'm, I'm too far. I'm too far to be believed in some ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like also, it, he str- wasn't strange credulity. He wasn't a musician. He wasn't. He couldn't sing. Well, we don't know that. Well, he does. Jeff Bridges does. But the Lebowski character doesn't. I mean, he hates the Eagles. Lebowski. He yes. definitely has strong feelings. About <laughs> yes. It. But uh, I think. Um, there's a, a when people that are that know me well. Uh, imitate me. Mm hmm. I, apparently, I'm very easy to do imitations. I want to see some. Who does it that I that we could could we pull this up? Well, this is the thing. I don't think that people. I don't think that the effective imitations of me are vocal. Hmm. It's probably hard to do uh, mannerisms and things like that. It's mannerisms. I see. Um, traditionally, I have uh, people who are doing impressions of me will walk across the room. Right. And then everyone will laugh and I'll turn around and go, what are you guys laughing at? And they'll say, oh, nothing, you know, like whatever, like Kelly was just doing an impression of you. And I'm like, do it. Show me the impression. And then they won't. And then right. I never get to see it. But I hear about it. And it is that my, that I have a distinctive walk mm. and a distinctive posture, mm-hmm. which is described as kind of like leaning back. Like standing upright, but like leaning back Mm -hmm. as I walk or even as I stand, just kind of like. I've noticed that. I don't know if I could do an impression of it, but you certainly, this sounds right to me. And, and so we were down in San Francisco, a group of us standing around and, um, and some hilarious impressions of me ensued because it was during Sketchfest and there were a bunch of people there who are, you know, who like to, who are sketchy and like to be on stage. And right. so it was like, ha ha ha, here's my impression. And there was some funny ha ha's about how apparently I walk leaning, leaning way back, like, mm-hmm. like, whoa, coming in. Uh, but then it was realized, I guess by everyone simultaneously and by me in a, in a way I, I'd never noticed that when I stand relaxed, 
my palms face not the sides of my hips, but they face backwards. My natural resting position is with the backs of my hands facing forward. And when I walk, my hands or my arms swing, Mm -hmm. but palms facing behind me. And for me to turn my hands at the elbow to swing so that my palms are facing my legs feels like I'm doing a robot impression. So (laughs) with my hands, with my palms naturally where they are, which Uh is facing backwards, what it does is it also means that my elbows are akimbo. Right. They're pointing, instead of pointing behind you, they're pointing out to the sides. They're pointing out to the sides. Right. I see this. I can totally see this. And so my shoulders then are not, uh, my shoulders also, because my, you know, my upper arm then is pitched out. Mm-hmm. My shoulders are kind of pitched forward. Now this is a, this is a natural posture. It's not a, it's not a thing I was ever aware of. And so it was pointed out and I walked around on display like a, like a zoo animal for my friends while mm-hmm. they all pointed and laughed. And I was like, I don't understand why, I mean, isn't this just like half the people do it one way, half the people do it the other way? And, and it, it, the consensus was no, no, no one does this. Right. So of course I went online and I tried to figure out, I mean, it's like difficult even to Google, like when I stand, my palms face backwards, but eventually I found the the way to describe it to get good Google results. And of course there was a lot of conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, People that do it, which, uh, which are a, a small group of people, um, they describe it as being a sign of nobility. Nobility, confidence. And then a lot of people who like populate alt-right uh, websites and uh, like, you know, gun nut culture. Yeah. They say that it's, uh, that it's only dummies and idiots that do it. Oh, uh, so, of course, we can discredit them. Right, of course. But there's a lot of, you know, uh, my mom is very proud of the fact that when she did 23andMe, she discovered that we had more Neanderthal genes. We were in that group of people that had, like, noticeable amounts of Neanderthal DNA. According to her, I've never done 23andMe and I don't, I mean, I, I read newspaper articles that talk about Neanderthals and I'm like, great, awesome. That's wonderful. There are people that have that and I don't, and I'm not surprised if it's me. There's, I, you could just look at me and see that there, um, it's, you know, it's not like if you said this Russian ballerina has extra Neanderthal genes. And you'd be like, wow, how interesting. In the case of looking at me and saying that, you're like, yeah, right. I mean, Fred Flintstone, here he is. <laughs> but it does feel a little bit like, uh, well, discovering that about myself, that that I hold my arms differently than most people. Mm-hmm. And that's my natural way of 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 walking 
and and of course it even if you even if you weren't aware of what it was you would you would see my posture and gait as the thing to do an impression of because it just stands out right it's distinctive but i have not found in the literature an explanation of what it is or why or whether or not it's inherited although it seems like it should be but i don't i don't think anybody else in my family does it um so it remains a little bit of a mystery or 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 it feels like the it feels like a little thread that i that i want to start pulling on to discover whether this is a some kind of marker where you can go trace it back like oh sure everybody that walks like that is descended from this one um group of laplanders or something but i i feel like uh, it's it's a it's sort of a lebowski-ish quality yeah no, I see it. I'm I'm thinking of the scene in um the early scene in the bowling alley where he's sort of stretching himself left yeah. and or sw- swaying left and right. I can see that. And every picture you see of Lebowski when he's sitting down, he sits down exactly like I do, which is that he flops down and then sprawls mm. across whatever ottoman and nearby table. You know, like I don't sit so much as I like uh you like to stretch out. Well, it's not that I like to. It's that I I just sort of, I mean, I'm conscious of other people, but if there's room for me to, like if I sit on a couch and there's a table next to it, there will be part of me on the table. And if there's something in front of the couch, like a box or. Mm-hmm. You'll, chuck, or you'll chuck a leg up on that. Yeah, or a cat or something. Like I'll put a <laughs> foot on it. <laughs> yeah. And then pretty soon I'm just sort of like, you know, just like a, like a cat sort of, I, I, if there's a table behind the couch, I'll put an arm back and it'll be on that table because it just doesn't feel like there's enough room otherwise. And Lebowski's the same way. My mm-hmm. God, he's, he covers every available surface, like laying out, relaxed, there's a lot I admire about him. Let's be honest. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it. I don't like the comparison because he's drunk. But, you know, you can learn a lot from the man. <laughs>